Hey, it's Rowan, and thank you for tuning in. This is the Unmachine Yourself podcast, and it suits the title, perhaps. If I tell you a little bit humane, personal about the guest. Now, she doesn't know that I'm doing this, so perhaps she's going to hate me for the rest of her life. I hope you will not, because I was really impressed by you, Lara. My guest of today was Lara van Druten, and she's the CEO of the Waste Transformers. She's also seriously a powerhouse. If you hear her talk, every word seems interesting and passionate. And I do apologize, in the podcast itself, I also use that word, passionate. I know it's cliche, but once you hear her talk, it seems appropriate. So what happens is this, her assistant sends me beforehand a bio, right? I always ask for that. And in her bio, it said something like, she's an innovative or a visionary entrepreneur. Then Lara comes in and she wanted to check the bio and she says, maybe take out that word, it's not really necessary. Well, it is. If you listen to her story, this woman has ideas that are outside of the box. And even if she doesn't have to write the diplomas to do a certain thing, she will come up with a pretty brilliant idea. And still, she doesn't want me to call her a visionary. So I'll leave it up to you. Let me know afterwards. But I hope and expect that we're going to agree that this was a good podcast. There was just one word missing. Have fun. I have on the table Lara van Druten, who is a entrepreneur with a substantial track record in the area of innovation, clean tech, and resource recovery. She is CEO and founder of The Waste Transformers, an award-winning Dutch company on a mission to revolutionize how we deal with waste in a way that is circular, green, clean, entrepreneurial, and smart. Lara, thank you so much for coming here. Hey, thanks for the invite. Good morning. I heard that the road, the traffic was horrible. I hope that the coffee is better than the traffic was. The coffee is delicious and the cookies also do a lot of good. Yay. Um, so when I read your bio, I'm always, I'm always curious. So I read you are the CEO and the founder of the Waste Transformers. But I have a humble guess here that when you were a kid, you probably did not want to become a Waste Transformer. Or did you? No, not at all. And uh, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in South Africa and uh, I grew up in a world of uh, a great deal of contradictions. And I was always kind of fascinated by the system that led to those contradictions. So when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be the first female president of South Africa. I love it. Um, yeah. And, and uh, but I kind of quickly realized that if you want to make things happen, politics is not probably the right place to be. So, and uh, I slowly but surely kind of changed my course and um, thought I was going to be a lawyer for a long time. Um, and then really... Still in the area of social justice then? Absolutely, yeah. And then and, uh, slowly but surely kind of figured out that and, uh, I really dislike stupidity and I really dislike stupid systems. So what I really wanted to do was to find a way to kind of buck the system a little bit. And um, and that's what I've probably been trying to do since. And when did you become fascinated with stupidity in unsustainability? I think in um, it's been more of a, there wasn't a moment. It's been more along the lines of an, uh, 
you know, you live your life, you do your thing, and slowly but surely you kind of ask yourself, well, if we were starting this and designing it from scratch, there's no way we would put the system like this together, right? And um, and then comes the question, well, how would you put it together? Yeah. And um, and slowly but surely, in that way, you start to figure out, well, you're going to do it in a way so that you take care of our planet, you take care of people. And um, you're not going to do it in a way where you're just kind of blindly destroying things around you. Yeah. And that really is when innovation and uh, sustainability come together. Yeah. And I'm guessing that you're referring also then to the idea that waste, well, that we now have waste, that we now have products that then turn waste that is often not reusable or not easy to turn into something else, right? Yeah, I read in, a, in the recent uh, circularity gap report that in a, out of all the resources that we are using, only 8.6% of those are actually currently being recycled and reused, which is in a, really a crazy way of doing things, Yeah. right? So and um, with the waste transformers, what we're trying to do is we're really trying to tackle that circularity gap, but we've we found really a niche. So circularity is about a whole lot of things. The niche that we really focused on is food waste and organic waste, mm -hmm. and specifically that in a, that non-consumable food waste. So we don't want that kind of beautiful cucumber that's just a little bit too crooked and therefore doesn't make it to the supermarket. We really want like the potato peels and the stuff that has gone off and the stuff that you really can't, uh, can't use anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the stuff we want to get value from. Yeah. And um, and that's the stuff we want to valorize in a completely different way. And how do you do that for people who don't know your company yet? So if you think of, an, um, perhaps if I just take a few steps back, if you think yeah. of like the average garbage bag, right? So in that garbage bag that you put out on the street and um, most people want to put that thing out and get rid of it as soon as possible because it's that smelly thing that no one wants, right? And um, what we try and do is we try and make waste personal again. So rather than having that garbage bag, which some waste management company comes and takes and you never, ever see again, and um, especially considering that the average garbage bag in the Netherlands travels for about 86 kilometers before it's burnt. And um, so we have a system in which we have an, a garbage bag, which consists for about 40% of organics. That's water. Um, we have a system which takes dirty water, transports it on dirty diesel to then burn it. And, um, and imagine if I have this glass in front of me, right, with water, and imagine I have a lighter underneath it and I'm trying to burn the water inside this glass. You really see what a completely inefficient process it is. Yeah, this all sounds pretty stupid now that you catch it. Yeah. It is, right? So what about if you did it differently? What about if you took logistics completely out of the system? What about if and, uh, you processed your organic waste on site and you were the one who was getting the value from that organic waste? That's essentially what we try to do. Mm -hmm. So and, um, we process uh, organic waste within communities, at a shopping center, at a hospital, um, at a mall, and we do that in 20-foot shipping containers. It's a plug-and-play system. So we capture all of the energetic value inside that waste and, and um, we use that energy to co-power um, good growth in the community. And we also recover all of the nutrients inside that waste and uh, all of the nutrients we use to then grow fresh food. So that way we have a completely circular system, which is based on a pretty sound business case. Yeah, and it seems like it's scalable as well. It's completely scalable, but we perhaps do it a little differently because we think big by going small. So I don't want like a bigger, big, big centralized installations. I really, in my vision, I have this, this decentralized network 
of installations which in, um, are able to tackle a sanitation issue, an energy issue, and a, an, a, a food issue, specifically around food security. How did you, because you mentioned the word vision, but I, when I think about this, you see a system that has been done in a certain way. And how does that work in your brain? You get an idea on how it can be done differently. Where do you get that idea from? Did you have a specific background in this? Or is this just a talent? Like something starts to rattle and then there you go. Yeah, it's pretty much something that starts to rattle and then you have an idea and you recognize your idea is not going to work. So then you tweak it and you reshape it. And then you try something and you figure out, well, that's not quite the way either until you get to something which makes a lot of sense and ticks a lot of boxes. I mean, my own background is really diverse. Um, I really liked uh, university. So I first uh, did a degree in politics and in philosophy, and I finished those. And then I felt a bit like a walking head. So I did a degree in theater science and uh, finished that one. And then I did a degree in international political economy. Mm. So I'm pretty much qualified to think, yeah. and, um, but I don't have a profession. Um, and since actually one of my first businesses was in, uh, also in, uh, very much about a system change, and that was about starting one of the first online universities mm. and uh, leveraging technology. Well, that proved handy. Absolutely. Yeah, it was right at the, at the beginning of the internet and uh, hype. Um, and it was really from the perspective of I'd been in universities so many years, I was thinking to myself, this can be done smarter and better. Yeah. Uh, and this ivory tower mentality, we really have to break open. Yeah. And now it's like part of the course. I mean, you know, who would imagine education without uh, the assistance of technology? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a university teacher. And so I've been lecturing for one and a half year online. We were a bit late, but yeah. we had some yeah. circumstance. That yeah. How was that for you? Um, I, I'm really happy to be teaching live again, I must say. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that it's really handy, yeah. especially also for people living in rural countries. Right. Or, you know, just, um, I think it has pros for sure. Also, I'm an introvert, so I don't mind working from home. But for mm. a lot of my students, it has been really heavy. Mm. And I think if you're young then part of the interaction between the lecturer and the student is perhaps not so much sitting in class and listening to what I have to say, but more when I'm at the coffee machine mm, and you're a shy absolutely. student, you yeah. can walk up to me and say, yeah. I really didn't get yeah. that. Yeah. Can you explain it to me again? Mm. And that I think for a lot of kids missed. Mm. Uh, so I didn't like that part. For me, it was kind of nice. Um, but I think a lot of the employees will recognize yeah. this as well, where, yeah. where it goes into. How did you do that? How many teams, uh, how many people are working now at the Waste Transformer? So we have a, a team of 12 and uh, we've organized that. So we have a, really our core, core team and then we have a number of manufacturing partners that we work with. And um, so that provides, as it were, kind of a, 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 secor, a second layer to the onion. Um, we also have a number of uh, ZZ payers, so mm -hmm. independent staff, and, um, that we work with. So, for example, we have an, uh, a guy who's specialized in pumps, yeah. or we have other people who are specialized in, in uh, one particular area. Yeah. And, um, and then we have a number of universities that we work with. We have a number of research institutes that we also work with. And then I around can imagine that, that Wageningen might be engaged. Wageningen is one, but because our work is very international, and um, we also have a number of international organizations involved. Mm. Um, so at the moment, we're active in the Netherlands, we're active in South Africa, we're active in Sierra Leone, we're just starting up in Ghana and in Uganda. 
Um, we have a project in um, Dubai, and we also have a project in Chile. That Very interesting. Just, uh, so you, you have to be online with many of the people you work with because some of them will be abroad as well. Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, I, one of the you know, my conclusions from uh, the online university was I really believe in high-tech, high-touch. So you really have to have the combination of both. Yeah. And, um, and the online stuff, you can get really far. But and, uh, if you want to go the distance, there's nothing like being together in the same room with Absolutely. a piece of paper and a... A blank canvas. Absolutely. I, I feel with my research team, but also with Hatch, I'm the scientific mm -hmm. advisor for Hatch, um, we have online trainings, we have online meetings, but then every month or so we try to see each other and the whole tone changes. Yeah, yeah. It just The conversations become sure. more intimate. Yeah. Um, I think the trust is being built. There. Yeah. And then yeah. you can deal with all the online. Exactly. Then you can deal with all the irritations and all the little bits, right? Yeah. 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 So a little bit back to apparently what you do both with the online university and with this is you see a gap. Like this is not happening yet. Ah, funny. That's my Siri, I think. Okay. <laughs> okay, can we leave yeah. that in? <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, one option is okay. All right. Thank you, Siri. I wasn't calling. <laughs> Um, I have a new refurbished phone since oh. yesterday, so I haven't uninstalled my Siri. I don't okay. like Siri. Go away. Um, but apparently that's what you do. You see a niche or you see a gap, and then you just dare to come with an idea. Apparently you're not afraid to come with a stupid idea, if it, even if it's not your typical background. Um, no, I would be afraid to come with a stupid idea. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. But you dare to test and then I dare refine. to test it, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and, uh, but... I mean, you know, what I what I typically, I mean, what, what I would like, like probably most people, is that you have something and you you crack the you you crack the nut in one go. Yeah. But that really happens, right? You always have to do little pivots. You have to do little shapings. You have to mold. You have to massage. You have to throw bits out and pull new bits in, um, and and in that process, you. What typically happens is that I become more and more and more uh, convinced by what I'm doing, uh, by what I'm doing, and, and, and that it's right, and that we really are in the right direction. And um, I remember when I first started the, the the waste transformers, the initial response I always got was, "Well, you know, if you say it, it sounds so logical. Why aren't we already doing it?" Mm. And uh, and then you kind of think to yourself, "Well, we've hit on something. We've hit on something yeah. that actually that makes seems a great like a deal good of sense." Sign. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, and then we always get the question around the scalability. So, and um, perhaps in the, to give an example of the way we would we tackle that kind of scalability issue, which has also been a really a challenge, is that we're working currently in um, in Sierra Leone in Freetown, and we have an installation next to a hospital. So the community provides their organic waste. And, and um, youth groups pick up the organic waste and they paid for that. They bring it to the hospital and, sorry, they bring it to the installation and that co-powers the hospital and the hospital provides free healthcare for and women from the slum areas and the nutrients inside the waste are reused to grow fresh food for urban farming in, um, in Freetown. And what we want to do is we want to establish a network of 40 small-scale installations at strategic points in the city so that we create, as it were, an alternative and um, blueprint for a new kind of infrastructure for the mega cities of Africa. So if we can do that in such a way that we're creating this grid, um, we infuse intelligence 
into the system. Um, we're creating new work opportunities for, an, uh, for, for locals, and we're tackling the sanitation, the energy issue, as well as the food issue in, uh, in one go. Yeah. I know a little bit about waste issues in, in other countries because I've lived in Jakarta slums for six years when I was doing my research there. And it just taught me so much about how, how complicated things can be. Like, for example, just a really major problem there was that slum streets are so narrow that a garbage truck cannot pass. And so what people yeah. would do was burn their own waste yeah. or they would toss yeah. it in a river. And you can't really blame them because otherwise the rats would come, Absolutely. which is horrible for their health. Yeah. And so they had no other opportunity. So I'm when you talk about Sierra Leone, I can at least imagine a little right. bit. Do you work with local people in order, because this seems like it's a holistic project, so you really have to understand then the situation. So do you then lean on the expertise of locals? Oh, and uh, hugely. Yeah. So everywhere where we are, we really try and work on the basis of partnerships. And part of the the, the challenge is really finding... The, the best and the brightest, and and um, and making sure that the the people that you're working with is not just a, an alignment in terms of operations, but there really is an alignment in terms of values, and and uh, what you want to achieve, how you want to achieve it, and what you stand for, and um, and when you find that match, and um, that really is when you can make a great deal of uh, you can really make steps. Um, which is happening now in uh, in Sierra Leone. So we have this fantastic partner and a fantastic woman, enormous powerhouse, and she's going for it. Uh, and and uh, we've also found a equity partner from an, uh, based in the Netherlands um, and based in South Africa. And and uh, we have a term sheet with them for and um, the project finance for these uh, 40 installations. Um, so now we can take it to the to the next level to see just how we can kind of build that network, taking it again one step at a time, doing a couple of them, learning from it, and uh, sharpening the model as much as we possibly can before we do the full rollout. Do you feel an entrepreneur or somebody who's trying to make the world a little bit more just? I think you can do both. Huh? And, um, and I think the way to do it in a way that sticks is to make sure that you're doing it with a solid business case. Yeah. Because uh, if you don't have a business case under it, then it's not going to stick. Uh, then you have kind of a, a one-off. So if you can combine the two, then I think you really are bringing together the best of both worlds. Yeah. Well, perhaps that's a lovely advice because we're talking in this podcast, we talk about the future of work or the future of companies. And we're always kind of looking to like, there's so many people with new ideas, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then we're trying to understand which of those ideas make sense for a future. Should all ideas develop or perhaps not? You know, sometimes do we need a new product? Um But if I hear you talk, you say, well, if you have a good idea that's good for the planet, it can be a business thing as well. But then you have to think about how you earn money with it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, perhaps another example of what we're trying to do at the moment is with the uh, Johan Cruyff Stadium. The, uh, for anyone who's a football fan, that's the home base of uh, Ajax. And in, um, there we want to place an installation to an... Um, to process not just the organic waste from the football stadium, but also to use that waste as a, an, uh, as a driver of social cohesion in the area. So and, uh, many of the headquarters around the football stadium will also provide their organic waste. And, um, and the energy that we create will co-power 
the in, uh, the football stadium. The heat will be used for a data center which is underneath the football stadium, and that'll be converted to cold and um, for that data center. And then in, um, we will have a program that we've developed for people with a distance to the labor market and um, and really train them in, uh, in circularity and as operators um, and take them through a program where we want to have kind of six people every year. So we really upgrade their skill set. And um, and they will be there collecting the waste, processing and, and processing the waste. Uh, many of the organizations involved will be sorting their waste for the very first time, and um, which is also really exciting if we can make that happen as a an, uh, as a spinoff. And then and as we go down the line, and uh, what we want to see is if the nutrients we recover from that waste is if it would be possible at all to actually and, um, use that to feed the, the, the grass mats of the uh, football fields so that and, uh, they're also growing on the waste from the neighborhood. Uh, so in that way, kind of this thing, which is otherwise very much considered as being something smelly, horrible, and uh, becomes something positive, becomes something really cool. Yeah. Uh, becomes something that, uh, that kind of makes a lot of sense to a lot of people and kind of improve kind of the quality of life of a lot of people. And if we can make that happen, I had a pretty good day. I think I'm going to use a word that I would prefer never to use in my life because I find it so cliche, but you talk really passionate about your work. Um, what type of leader are you? I mean, do you come into the office before such a good day with all such ideas? Because it now appears, now I have a vision of you in your kitchen, I don't know, cooking or thinking and then getting good ideas and writing them down and can't wait to type it out. Yeah. Or do you more let go and have you created a wonderful team around you? What type of leader are you? How does and this both. work? Okay. Yeah. So it's an, uh, and sometimes, in, uh, you know, I leave an enormous amount of space for people and sometimes I'm all over them like a rash. So it's an, uh, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic that I, that I have. Um, and, you know, some people love it and some people it drives them crazy. And and uh, and it's. Uh, Are you an intuitive leader? Then you don't. You, you just go with what feels right at that moment. Very intuitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that the other side of that is, and um, I don't mind a bit of chaos, and um, I'm quite comfortable with it. But I also recognize that most people are not. Uh, most people really in a thrive and structure. And um, and with the set processes and uh, everything really kind of worked out very clearly. And um, so I have to make space for that. And I also have to delegate it yeah. to make sure that those around me are creating that structure and creating that and uh, that organization. Yeah. And um, but because it's such a it's such a different rhythm that I have, you know, I can be there giving like huge amounts of energy um, and then pull back. If you think about companies of the future, so new companies that might start now, or um, what do you think they should have? Should should they all consider recycling, um, circular development, things like that? Do you think that that has become a responsibility in the world we live in now? Yeah, maybe there's two parts to the question, because the one part is in a kind of what what do companies need and mm -hmm. uh, what do they need in terms of leadership? And yeah. I think that the, that companies lead different kinds of leadership based on the different phases where they are. Mm. So, and you know, what I'm really good at is taking a, a tabula rasa or taking a, a blank piece of paper and really trying to turn it into chocolate. 
Yeah, that's an error, and I thrive on that. So I love from it. nothing to, a to lot. something. There yeah. is chocolate on the table, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to try it in a bit. Yeah. The and um, that's that's what I'm really good at. So, but once I've done that, and I, I hunger for the next thing, and it's that point in time when you need different kinds of leadership to come in to, in order to take that and uh, to take a company or to an organization to the to the next level. From the chocolate to something bigger. To something bigger, maybe to a chocolate factory. Mm -hmm. You know, who knows? And and um, But whatever is needed, you need a different kind of skill set. Yeah. So I think that's the first thing. And, and uh, as a leader, you really need to recognize kind of the faces, what you're really good at mm -hmm. and what you're not that good at and where other skill sets are going to be uh, stronger and more powerful. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of the question is what kind of, what should companies be doing? Um, and I really do believe that Part of the and our companies need to have a purpose, and they need to have meaning, and uh, in what they're doing, and that can be found in many different ways. Um, and it's when you have a purpose and when you have meaning, and however you articulate that, whether it's around circularity, whether it's around sustainability, or otherwise, and in, uh, infusing meaning into the lives of your clients, and uh, that's when you're able to attract really talented people. Uh, that's when you be able able to really build a team and come together with other like-minded souls. Yeah, and um, and where you can really make things happen. But this is interesting because I think you know those words: purpose, value, meaning, perhaps even passion. You know, I think they have been popular for decades. But I'm a futures anthropologist, so I do a lot of research in companies on the work culture. For example, you see now, especially with the younger working force, that It is one of the main drivers for them. Like, if they do not match with that company or they will work at a company like, I don't know, Patagonia, because they really believe that it stands for the values. And so I think it's becoming a real thing, while before it was perhaps also a little bit of like a poster on yeah. the wall. Yeah, yeah. We put out an advert in, in, um, for a new position, um, I think now like about a month and a half ago. Um, and it was for a mechanical engineer. And, you know, I hear so much about the the market is just crying out for technical staff. We were amazed. We got 70 applicants. Wow. And that was in the first three days. Yeah. Uh, and it was really because people are attracted to this idea of doing something which is meaningful, which yeah. is making a difference, yeah. uh, which is an, uh, and pioneering think, and timmering. Uh, yeah. Ahead. If I can share also one other trend, I think, and then we go to the last question, um, What I also see is now more trust in companies leading the way because they have the resources, they have the expertise, etc. They're not as bureaucratic. And so I see, for example, my partner works in a reforestation business and, you know, capturing CO2, etc. And you see a lot of young, super talented people who used to work for government agencies or NGOs now being interested in working in his company. And I think because they see this is doing something at least, right? right? Yeah. And I think also, you know, you have, you have that on different levels. So you have kind of the younger companies, the scale-ups or the startups who are, you know, pioneering ahead. But you also have some of the corporates who have been incredibly brave um, and trying to tackle the way that they do business. Um, and I think, you know, an example there would be a company like Ikea and um, where they really have looked very strongly at their business model and have been incredibly courageous in terms of uh, the choices that, they, that they're making. Yeah. Um, and as a consequence, they also become, because they've dared to be honest, 
they've become much more attractive in the labor market yeah. and um, than some of the other kind of oil giants who haven't dared to change, yeah. who are still based on a kind of paradigm which is no longer of... And I think they're now starting to also, because otherwise they're just not going to survive, right? But we had IKEA, uh, the head of integrity um, of IKEA, Binas Chibuktu, here in the podcast. And it's wonderful. And I think we've done some research with them as well. And they really take the culture really seriously. So they really dare to reflect inside, mm-hmm. like, are we doing the right thing? And that's brave. They're still a company. Yeah. So they still have to earn money, Absolutely. et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, they're making big steps. And we've just started collaborating with them. Wonderful. And um, so we're doing a test um, um, in Harlem in, uh, in the Netherlands to place a installation of ours in, um, at the shop. To, and, um, to really see if we can capture the value inside that waste um, and how we can create kind of a down the line eventually, if the test works well, um, a biohub in which we capture all of the resources inside and we also link that to, an, um, to fresh food production. Wonderful. That's interesting. We'll keep an eye on that then from two sides, IKEA and The Waste Transformers, wonderful. As a last question, do you have perhaps a book or a podcast or a film or something that inspired you in your leadership role or trajectory that our listeners might find interesting as well? Mm. There's a a West African saying, which I think is really beautiful. And it says, um, if you have extra rice the best place to store it is in someone else's belly. Um, And I think if we can do that with business and also in our personal relations, uh, so uh, with whatever we're doing, really try and make sure that you kind of, you leave by adding something, adding something good. And um, that, yeah, that too is a pretty good way to spend the day. That's wonderful. I, I now recall I'm... I climb in my free time, rock climb. And um, there's always a saying for outdoors people like leave no trail. Mm-hmm. But now yeah. I would like to add perhaps also leave something nice. Instead, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Thanks for today. And another thank you, but this time the thank you is for the listeners to this episode of the Unmachine Yourself podcast. If you found Lara's story as inspiring as I did, then please do share it with your own network. Just send it around, tell people about it. It's for us a way to get the ripple effect going. I think we need more future-proof leaders. We need more future-proof organizations. And perhaps more, we need more inspiration on how to get to a world that seems livable and to be realistic there. Because sure, we also want to make money. We also have ideas for companies. And I think Lara just gave us some really good tips for that. You'd also make us really happy with a good review in iTunes because that makes the podcast episode so much easier to find. Um, Or come and say hi at Instagram. Nowadays, we're there at joinhatch and you can send us a direct message or we're really happy with podcast guest tips uh, or with questions to me so that I can plan a session with you guys where I just answer questions on the future of work, if that's handy or useful or simply fun. Until next time.